Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. I'm Eric Arnaud, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. We've got a little bit of a blast from the past today, as this episode was recorded way back in April. Um, the tour and then some more time-sensitive episodes bumped this guy back in the schedule, uh, but I'm so glad we're finally putting this out, because it's pretty great. Uh, on a sunny Sunday afternoon four months ago, the Nerdalogs, our special guest band Deja Vu, and a bunch of friends partied in a lovely classroom totally intended for children at Chase Park, a really great chunk of land at Ashland and Lawrence in Chicago. We told stories and sang songs based on the theme, Take a Hike, uh, to celebrate Deja Vu, a band that does music about the national parks. So you'll hear a little more about what they do in this episode. Plus, you'll get stories from stars of the Chicago storytelling scene, Josh Zagarin and Rosamund Lennon, a piece from actual river guide Diane Sparkleshine, shockingly using an alias, if you can believe it, and the wonderful singer Sasha Rorit, plus a tune from Deja Vu and one from myself, Dwight Hassler, and Katie Johnston-Smith. So yeah, sorry this bad boy took so long to see the light of day, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. For optimum results, listen while hiking. Or if you can't do that, your car is fine. See you next week for part two. Hey, everybody. Hi. Welcome to, uh, yeah, my name is Eric Arnell. I am one of the hosts and producers of the show you're about to see, which is called The Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories. Uh, we are a storytelling, music, comedy podcast that is now in its sixth year of existence, which is cool. Uh, part of the sketch comedy group, The Nerdalogs. It's been around for seven years. And uh, yeah, so this is a fun thing that we do. Uh, we're a very mobile show, so we brought it to Chase Park this afternoon. So we can all enjoy this nice weather after the show, which is sweet. We kind of lucked out with this one. Uh, so we've got special guest Deja Vu here tonight. Uh, there today. I always say tonight, but it's, it's the daytime. Day. I know. This afternoon, this afternoon uh, they are a band that writes songs about the national parks, so that's why we're in a park. And we're going to turn things over to them shortly. But first, uh, we're going to play a song that fits the theme. And the theme tonight is inspired. 
damn it. The theme this afternoon is inspired by our national parks. Uh, the theme is Take a Hike. And so this is a song that is almost exactly called that. But instead of hike, it's something else. Uh-oh. Nate, you're in my chair. It's take a piss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The 2012 indie hit, Take a Piss. <laughs> I love when they play this song on XRT. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I know it's time to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Take a walk, 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 take a walk
special guest today, and so let's turn it over to them. This is uh, Deja Vui. <laughs> Hello, friendly people. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, okay. So, uh, a few years ago, I started a project called Trail Songs, where I was, I was like, I want to write songs inspired by visiting national parks. So I've been doing that, and then... Uh, Molly and I started playing music, and I guess we're a trio, kind of, because we have a mascot named Yui. So we're playing, our band is called Deja Vui, and this is very confusing. Uh, we didn't make a D or a V, but we made a U. So our mascot is a U, we call him Yui. Uh, you'll see him around. So the first song that we're going to play is called uh, Always There, and it's inspired by... Grand Teton National Park. And Grand Teton National Park is, has anyone here been there? It's right next to Yellowstone. It's like the park you go to when you're going to Yellowstone, kind of. Uh, and it has this like intense, beautiful mountain range that you can see from like everywhere. And so this song is about how you kind of feel its presence even when you can't actually see it. You tower You tower over me, no defense. 
also booked a lot of the speakers that you're seeing today, like our first speaker. What a transition. This gentleman is the artistic director at the Wild Claw Theater, and also if you've ever been to Paper Machete, he is Chad the Bird at that show. This is Josh Zagarin. Uh, yeah, so they asked me to talk about national parks. Uh, this, this is a story about how I got arrested uh, in uh, Niagara Falls. Uh, that, uh, so uh, I did this sh- uh, story for uh, a, a room full of children once. Just um, <clears throat> Life is a series of going and stopping. Sometimes it's like rest stops along the highway. You're trying to succeed in getting somewhere, but sometimes you got to go to the bathroom because you've been drinking coffee for the last four hours and you suddenly want a Twinkie because when's the last time you had one? And you're only human, so stop and park for a second. You got a long road ahead of you. And along that road are borders that you must pass through to get where you're going, and the people are in charge of those gates. And in the moment you meet you, they police your fate. Sometimes they let you on by, no hassle, but often they don't. You can't pass. You fail. You gotta stop and wait, get more money, and change your life. So life is a series of going and stopping. And in the end, you don't control whether you pass or not. It's up to the authorities, and I learned that on a road trip to Iowa from Boston, where I went to college. So, my college co-conspirator, Sam, and I had just ditched class to test drive a Chevrolet station wagon that we rescued from a scrapyard, got it running, and painted it ourselves. Now, what you heard was fixed up a car. What I said was, got it running. So, keep your expectations low. Like Randy Quaid would drive this low. The neighborhood asks you don't park on the street because it might decrease the property value should anyone see it low. Now, in the movie, it'd be up and running and it'd look like it just came off the assembly line. There'd be high fives and a washing, polishing decal montage and then a shot of us on the hood at night looking at the stars, just wondering. But in reality, because that's where we all live, we got gas in it, started the engine, replaced a brake shoe, painted the whole thing chrome and soldered a Porsche 911 spoiler to the roof because we were relentlessly high. And yes, we had ditched class for this, but I learned what a brake shoe was. So really, I was getting field credit in mechanic and repair technologies. (laughs) To the casual observer, the wagon looked like someone was trying to build the future but got drunk and forgot what they were doing and then they woke up late and they had patched it up just enough so it wouldn't explode. To the motorists on the road, the chrome paint reflected the entire sky and it shined like the sun. Like the literal sun because it was a mobile pair of aviator sunglasses and anyone who gazed upon it would lose sight for at least a minute. It's a miracle nobody got hurt. And it only had three working brakes as we were unable to get the aforementioned brake shoe to work properly so you could change lanes just by tapping the brakes. So that's physics. Still learning. I guess you could say we passed. To give it the NASA treatment, we drove it to Iowa, which which is where I'm from. Uh, And it's at this point I remind you we had ditch class. The open road was everything I told it was going to be from the movies. Not that I had not experienced it being from Iowa, but this was the open road. As in, we had no rules but our own on our way to barter town with nothing but a few snacks and a little CD player because the radio was beyond our limited knowledge. Uh, a guitar, of course, uh, an emergency gas can. We learned early on that gas stations took one look at this and saw a traveling bomb. And, of course, our rations of marijuana because we got this far. So... Everyone we met on the road referred to our conveyance as a pile of junk. Mm. But to us, 
That meant rebellion, because that's exactly what everybody called the Millennium Falcon. So, the only argument we had was, which one of us is Chewbacca? P.S. It was me, because I'm taller, hairier, and I was so high that I could only manage a few honking barks most of the time. So, <laughs> on the road, it was open, and we were on it. We may have been on our way to failing a class, but by all set standards so far, we were doing alright, and that's when we thought, depending on how you define thought, what would totally make this perfect? would be a stop at the great Niagara Falls. Now, for those of you not in the know, Niagara Falls is the collective name for three waterfalls that hang around the international border between Canada and the U.S., located right in between Ontario and New York. If you take I-90 out of Boston to 290 to 190, you'll get there. That's geography and transportation. At this point, I'm on my way to a bachelor's in applied physics, mechanics, and cartography. I'm practically an astronaut, you guys. So... In the middle there somewhere, I passed out in the back seat, which was a massive fail, as Sam was no better off as he was in the driver's seat. Nobody was drinking, mind you. Safety first. Falling asleep in the back seat of a huge station wagon, by the way, is a rite of passage. And a beautiful moment that people write about in folk songs. So I took that moment, and at this point, we'd barely stopped. And it was all just passing lane, wave by, sunrises, because it had only been about six hours. So, fade out. Shushing past cards, road signs, beta band on the CD player. Sam's smoking spicy cigarettes, wafting past the back window, just just moving forward. And then, flash forward, totally not high anymore. Sam and I are sitting in what we assumed was... Uh, oh, I skipped a page. Pause, pause your podcast. Pause it. No, I'm just kidding. Hang on. No spoilers, you guys. For real. Hang on. Here it comes. There it goes. Okay. When someone wakes you up from a mid-afternoon peace dream... Reality is like underground music in a lounge. Uh, it's muffled, unfocused, and a mess. Things are too tall, too loud, oddly proportioned because you haven't adjusted to consciousness, and it's rude. Especially when it's armed cops like it's a zombie apocalypse. I woke up to the sound of shouting, and looking up out the window saw a SWAT team of cops with drawn guns asking us politely to exit the vehicle. Okay, Which we did. Now, dig, if you will, this picture. Two 20-something men, one in a tan linen suit, the other a Baja hoodie and hemp shorts, coming from Boston, standing next to a chrome station wagon that seemed to lean as we were, half awake, half nervous, surrounded by cops, big cops, with very large guns. None of us were going anywhere, and all of us were confused. But mostly, I was mad, because we'd stopped. There was no need to stop. We were on the road. We had a plan. Niagara Falls. We were in charge. We decided when to stop and why. But here we were, against our will, at a standstill. Now, the wagon was first to be searched. and Of course, they found all manner of things to put on the record. And then we had to turn out our pockets, like lads getting caught stealing chocolate, which in the movie would be dramatic. But in reality, because that's where we live, it was embarrassing. They asked us, should they remove our luggage and take apart the car? Would they find anything? And we asked them not to, because we just built the damn thing. And it was being held together by a duct tape thread. All of this was polite, by the way. To the cursory viewer, it would have appeared that we were just discussing the menu. And they didn't take apart the car. I guess they'd gotten what they needed from the wagon, so they escorted us into the police station where I was sent into a cold room while Sam was sent into another room. This is where it gets dicey. <laughs> in the room that I was in, a new, taller cop politely 
asked me to remove all of my clothing as it was my turn to be searched. This was nine in the morning, by the way. And mind you, I still didn't know where I was. And it's at this point I have to point out how willing one can be on a road trip. You'll stop for anyone with authority. This could have been an elaborate roadside prank where nothing ends well, but you see a person in a uniform, you stop and do as you're told. Obviously, the reality was worse. We were being arrested. Clearly for some sort of drug possession, terrorist, road warrior reason, total fail. So then flash forward. Totally not high anymore. Sam and I are sitting in what we assume was the chief's office while he was grilling us, and yet so polite. And it's hard to answer questions from an authority-esque figure who has stopped your progress, put up a wall, put himself into a position where he alone controls your egress, and whom has yet to tell you where you were. Him. What were you thinking? Us. We weren't. Him. Did you realize this is a felony? Us. We did now. Him. Why did you think it was a good idea to drive past the Canadian border with a bag of illegal substances? Us. Wait, what? We're in Canada? The politeness. Of course. Now it was clear. We were at an actual border. The chief was baffled. Where did you think we were? I answered. Ni- Niagara Falls. The chief, you thought the border was Niagara Falls. Didn't the sign tip you off? Sam jumped on his cue because he was driving, and he said, Yeah. And I, <laughs> attempting to sound as if I had an iota of an idea of what was going on, said with dawning realization, I thought this was pretty stiff security for Niagara Falls. All right, said the chief, reminding us that here was an impasse, and he alone would grant us passage. I'm going to let you go, sweet, with a fine. Great, no problem. Because you're both too stupid to be a threat. Absolutely goddamn correct. (laughs) And with that, we were banned for two years from ever coming to Canada, which was fine. I was still in school, technically, at that moment, so lesson learned, stay in class. On our way out, he noted to us both, hey, you got a long drive back, just make sure you guys stay friends. Note. Canadians are polite. That is advanced international relations. Maybe I will become an ambassador. We were back in the wagon. Drove up to the border guard for our side. Yet another gatekeeper. This one wonderfully unaware of the journey like he was the munchkin at the gate and we were a horse of a different color. We gave him the papers. He asked us how the stay was and we shook our heads. Sam had cued born in the USA on the CD player, which should have been funny, but it was just sad. <laughs> and we had a long, very unhigh drive when after a good 10 hours, we were pulled over in Illinois for speeding. Were we speeding? We didn't know. At this point, we only knew we were definitely not in Canada. A familiarly taciturn man asked us for our necessaries, when, where, why, how, etc., and apologized for pulling us over, but they had to fill a quota. This guy's just doing his job. No harm, no foul, no conspiracy. When he asked if he searched the wagon, would he find anything? We seemed in a hurry, suspicious, rushed. Did we have anything illegal in the car? And I said, shit, no, man, the Canadians took it all. (laughs) Because at this roadblock, at this wall in our way, only the truth would do. The Illinois trooper, perhaps bored, perhaps baffled, told us to hang on a second. And then he totally got his partner out of the squad car to come out, and they asked us to step out of the car, but just to tell them the story. <laughs> At the end of the story, the patrolman, downright elated by this sailor's yarn we'd spun for them, asked if we liked cigars. And of course we did. And they offered us some premium Coronas they had stolen from the mayor's office. And of course, we smoked them there and then on the hood of that cruiser. And I realized that although I had most definitely failed that class. I learned something greater. 
In the course of a day, we'd met with many obstacles, challenges, stops on the road, and like Odysseus, Ishmael, Mario, and Link alike, we got to move on to the next level. The game was not over. And yes, we did make it to Iowa, and yes, we did make it back to Boston, and we did graduate, but it didn't matter. What was important was sitting on that squad car, smoking Michael Anthony Blayandic's cigars with the two troopers, because had we not set out, we would not be there. And none of it had been up to us. We merely set out and let the fates decide what gates would get through and how far we could go. Because life is stopping and starting. Most of it, you can't control. And that is 100% true. Thank you. Where? Oh. But when I got to the, the part where I said marijuana, I just said, uh, wacky leaf. <laughs> <laughs> so, I didn't know it was a bunch of kids. And I was like, oh, I'm going to read this uh, anyway, because it's kind of got Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> I have never not been stopped going into the Canadian border. I've never been doing anything wrong. But one time I was going with uh, Andrew and his uh, comedy partner, Chris Blake. I was going to tech a show for them at Toronto Sketch Fest. And uh, our, the two officers who searched my car, I swear to God, Andrew will corroborate, their names were Officer Vandal and Officer Bourgeois. Oh that is 100% true. Do you know what was actually even crazier, Eric? Yeah. Um, last summer, uh, I was catching a connecting flight through Canada uh, to uh, France. And the uh, Canadian customs guy was Officer Vandal. No! <laughs> I, I'm, I'm what? pretty sure it's the same guy. Your history, reassigned. Your history is tied to Officer Vandal. Yeah. I was going to say something, and I was like, it's probably like the most suspicious thing I've ever <laughs> I've been watching you. That's so bizarre. Anyway, guys. That was wonderful. Let's move on to the next storyteller. The product of nine years in San Francisco and eight years in St. Paul. That's Minnesota geography. Rosamund Lennon is pleasantly surprised to have lived in Chicago for over a decade. These days, she writes for the internet and co-hosts Lady Live Lit Show, Miss Spoken. The next show is this Wednesday at the Gallery Cabaret. The theme is letters. This is Rosamund Lennon. All right. Let's bring this up. So when I was a young goth, I like to proclaim my angry neutrality for the outdoors. Trees are fine, I guess, I said. But put me in the city. I don't need anything but concrete. I had all the world-weary cynicism of someone who freebased chili fries at Embers at 2 a.m. But I believed it. All I needed was gray and hard. All buildings and sidewalks, not a shrub in sight. Saying this stuff made me sound tough and uncaring, the cool girl I desperately wanted to be. It was one of my many attempts to hide my warm and squishy center. But there was some truth in this adolescent boast. I do like cities. I mean, I love them, in fact. I grew up in cities, I live in a city now, and I will probably die in a city. <laughs> I'm getting married next year, and my biological clock continues its soft tick, but it has not yet occurred to me to live anywhere else. If anything, thoughts of the future only strengthen my desire to stay where houses are close and life pulses. And I don't have this kind of certainty about much else in the physical world. Restaurants shudder, neighborhoods shift, temperatures rise and rise. The New York Times tells me that more permafrost than ever may, than ever may, be, th may be lost as the planet warms, reminding me that there are greater things at stake than my Midwestern mo metropolis microcosm. There are seismic shifts more far-reaching than being priced out of Avondale. <laughs> <laughs> 
My nature snubs continued into college. I don't get why anyone likes to live by the lake, I said. <laughs> I mean, it's nice, but like, who cares? My third week at Loyola University, Chicago, I swam in Lake Michigan in the early hours of the morning, ducking my head under the waves in an attempt to understand the invisible forces that made them crash. That night to date remains one of the most magical experiences of my life. I told no one. Um, I couldn't blow my cover. Being into the outdoors, you can't see it, but I'm doing air quotes. Being into the outdoors didn't line up with how I saw myself. Dark. Troubled. Complicated. The outdoors was for douche bros and sorority babes. People with small brains who didn't read books. Probably. A few years later, my boyfriend asked if I wanted to go swimming. I don't really do pools, I demurred, but okay. We went to the pool. The sun was blinding and the water was clear. It was cleaner and prettier than I had expected. A rec center pool that wouldn't have looked out of place on an old postcard. I slid in and remembered all at once that, oh right, I loved swimming a lot. <laughs> and I loved hot concrete and bright sunshine and all the rest of it too. So I've been thinking a lot about climate change recently. Um, it seems like it's been an issue pretty much forever, or at least as long as I can recall. I remember reading about it as a kid, which makes sense. It became prominent in the 90s, though back then they called it global warming. Now it's understood that it's not just warming, but weather extremes. Really hot and really cold and really bad at some point, as far as all living creatures are concerned. But the temperature in that pool was perfect. And that pool was kind of a gateway drug. A gateway drug to the great outdoors. <laughs> we went to beaches in Indiana and mountains in Los Angeles and eventually Hawaii, where he was born and where his family lived. And by that point, I'd come a long way from my pale disdain for growing things. I was ready. I'd heard Hawaii was pretty nice. You might have heard this too. <laughs> I packed sneakers and a sports bra and clothing super suitable for outdoor activities. <laughs> My boyfriend's dad took one look at me and said, maybe we should do one of the lighter trails. <laughs> he chose Makapu Lighthouse Trail, a gently sloping two miles just off the Kalanianioli Highway. It's low impact and high reward, which means lots of panoramic vistas, but you don't actually sweat that hard. He got me. <laughs> Hawaii is tropical and stunning, a paradise of mountains and oceans. There's color everywhere, but the breeze is soft. Mangoes and avocados grow on trees, and they're like the really good kind. <laughs> Not the weird stringy guys you get at the grocery store to make your sad winter guacamole. <laughs> uh, it's heaven, or at least very close. We drove to the base of the mountain and started up the paved path. We passed a short, stocky blonde woman surrounded by Asian tourists, who I would later learn was Dog the Bounty Hunter's wife. <laughs> the whole way up, thoughts burst in my head like plumeria. Green. Everything is very green. This is so beautiful. God, this is really beautiful. Everything in our world is connected by the delicate strands of the web of life, which is a balance between the forces of destruction and the magical forces of creation. And that last one is from Fern Gully, and I didn't actually think that. <laughs> but I kind of did. <laughs> Had I turned to some kind of tree hugger? I wanted to do more than hug Hawaii. I wanted to make out with the big monster plans, get real weird with the windward coast. Hawaii hit me right between the eyes. 
It knocked me out. I struggled to put one foot in front of the other, drinking in the low-growing plants, the old red-roofed lighthouse, the truly amazing view of Cocoa Head Crater. The bright heat beat down as we walked, making me feel both sleepy and incredibly alive. And by the time we got to the base, I no longer thought nature was for assholes. <laughs> there will always be pretentious types in comfortable sandals who act like they're above human civilization while benefiting from it greatly. But nature, fortunately, is democratic about its fan base. Or more accurately, nature doesn't care. It's going to do what it's going to do, whether you like it or hate it or don't really bother. And in the end, an end that I hope comes as late as we can make it, our opinions are less important than big <coughs> global actions. I came to environmentalism pretty late. I try not to act like a sophomore back from his parents' sponsored walkabout in Thailand. <laughs> As I read about our warming world and try to reduce my carbon footprint, I tell myself something that has become sort of a prayer. Better late than never, better late than nothing at all. Yeah, man, part of the reason I wanted to do this show here is because I thought it would be cool to infuse a little money into uh, a park somewhere. So Chicago Park District is getting the money that we paid to rent this space, so hopefully that helps somewhere. They gave us a discount, which is very sweet, because they only take cash, and it was 90 bucks, and I only had 20 So it ended up being 80 bucks. So guys, we helped raise $80 for the Chicago Park District. Way to go. Way to go. This is also the only park I called out of like five or six that answered their phone. So Chase Park, they really deserve it. Uh, coming next to the stage, we have a legitimate a former river guide for the parks. This is Diane Sparkleshine. So, hi guys, I'm Diane. I've been flown in from Colorado to represent a state that actually has a national park. And, uh, and, and also to tell my first story, which follows hence. And um, I'll begin by telling you that there's two kinds of river guides, those who have been in a flipped boat and those who will. So, and uh, I was like, meh, young 20s, circa like early 2000s, 2003, living in Summit County, which is where Breckenridge, Keystone, all those places are, and Let's just say the relationship I was in was not really going very well. The only thing going for it was like the occasional naked bong hits. Um, I had actually just figured out that the apartment I moved into, I was allergic to, so I was covered in hives for two months and working as a waitress serving bacon double cheeseburgers. It was not pretty. So the only logical thing to do was to become a river guide. So that was the next step that I took. So um, training to become a rookie river guide is very, very, very cold. Um, lots of spring runoff in the mountains of Colorado. And, um, but very exciting. You have no gear yet, so you're like getting through the day with wool socks on your hands to stay warm. And um, about two weeks after I started as my, my career as a river guide, fully enamored by 45-year-old men, old musty men who had never done anything but, but river guide and ski patrol. Um, and, uh, and the water's starting to rise. So spring runoff is coming up, and... It's getting more and more exciting. So we're, we're down at the River Gorge, so the, the, or the Royal Gorge, the Royal Gorge State Park down on the mighty Arkansas River. And uh, I'll give you a frame of reference. So 1,200 CFS, so that's cubic feet per second, is about a good average high flow. So that's exciting for tourists and, you, you know, rafts flip. So the Royal Gorge closes at 2,400 CFS. So it's getting exciting. Commercial boats can't go down there. Um, so... 
We're down there 4,900 CFS. That's 4,900 cubic feet per second rushing down the river every second. And um, we decide that we're going to go raft the Royal Gorge at 4,900 CFS. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's exciting, needless to say, two weeks into my river, river career. And um, so we smoke a little pot and, uh, <laughs> and get ready. And it's, and it's dark outside. It's probably about 6 p.m., sort of later than anybody would really get on the river. And there's two boats and a lot of old, musty river guides. I tell you, these guys, you know, 55 years old, they've been, they've been rafting for a long time. And so we get in our boats, two boats of, of, uh, of guides, old and new, and, uh, and one safety boater. We had a safety kayaker, which was really good for no safety at all. And, um, and this, usually you have four miles before the canyon starts, um, which would take about 35 minutes or so. Because the flows were so high, we had a good 13 minutes or so to get our team in, in order, and it's flowing fast. So, you know, we're getting down there, forward two, forward two. Everyone's pretty nervous. I've got my wool socks on my hands, ready to go. And um, so I am with Axe. So David Axelrod is sitting in front of me. <laughs> Shannon, who is a guy who two days previous had just cut his hand open by trying to open a wine bottle on the hitch of a truck. It's oh. not a good idea. I mean, it just gives you a picture of this, this group of individuals. Roll, and then Spike, who is the old, you know, old experienced river guide. And, you know, Spike's, Spike's at the helm, and I'm kind of just holding on tight. And uh, so first rapid is, is Sunshine Canyon. It's, no, just Sunshine Rapid. And ri- river rafting is really great when you're going straight down the river because the boat tends to not flip endo but as soon as you have to cross the river it's called you close your ferry angle you open yourself up to a lot of danger right so because you're sideways and you can flip over so sunshine rapid you literally have to go down one drop on the left side of the river and then ferry to the right side in order to go down the second hole so we knew this was coming and um, so we start you know going for it and we're ready to go, Sunshine can Sunshine Rapid, just really gripped. So we drop on the left, open up our ferry angle, and we start cruising over to the right, and whoosh, huge wave comes and hits us. And Kurt will tell us later, our safety kayaker, safety, safety kayaker, you see the entire black side of our raft. So we're entirely on our side. And all of a sudden, I'm swimming. I'm in a lot of water. Oh. Yeah. So me and Axe, who are on this, the upriver side of the raft, are in the water. And it's called high siding. So to save a boat from flipping, if you're on the upside, you have to kind of crawl over the top. So Roll and Shannon and Spike, they're all climbing. And it takes a long time, and we come back up. No flip. I mean, totally, yeah. So we made it. And... Uh, There's two kinds of guides. So those who have flipped and those who will, and I've yet to be in a flip boat. So, <laughs> <that's it. laughs> Thank you so much, Diane. Yeah. That sounds scary.
That's too intense for me. I'm also I'm starting to put something together just now. A lot of people have talked about doing drugs in the wilderness. Are those are those connected somehow? What a, this is a, an, an innocent place where children learn, guys. What are we doing here? What are we teaching our children through this podcast? They'll be forced to listen to. We have one more performer this half. She is like if Indiana Jones was also in a nationally recognized uh, college a cappella group. This is Sasha Rorat. Yeah, Eric and, and Dwight are going to help me out with this song. It's Katie Tunstall's um, Black Horse and a Cherry Tree. And I just, when Eric was telling me about this podcast, um, this is the first song that came to mind. I'm not really sure why, because I don't actually know. I didn't know what the song was actually about. It's really vague and lots of imagery, but it was very pretty, like, nature imagery. So I was like, yeah, let's do this. And I just kind of, like, in my head linked it, like, oh, yeah, she's talking about this <coughs> decision she made. Something has to do with nature. And I looked it up and it has nothing to do with nature. But we'd already rehearsed it, so we're going to do it. Yeah. There's something about marrying horses in here. And uh, uh, yeah, just ignore the bestiality. Yeah. But she doesn't. That's the point. She, but then she regrets it. Who knows? It's very... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I didn't say this to my, my tablet, but I think I remember the chord. It's pretty simple. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we, we'll get there. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Woo!
This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.